All right, Nick. Uh, do you know what happened to Aaron Burr after he killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel? No, I don't. Let me give you a history lesson real quick. This is actually really interesting. So, Aaron Burr, he was kind of an asshole overall, you know? He was super spiteful that his presidential campaign got, you know, effed over. Uh, So then, you know, whole debacle, if you've seen the Hamilton musical, then you know kind of what happens. Uh, But the Hamilton musical stops after Hamilton dies, which makes sense. However, what happened to Aaron Burr after he killed Alexander Hamilton is a wild story. So I actually watched this American history doc with my dad a little while ago. Um, And what we learned was just so, so interesting. So after killing Alexander Hamilton in a duel, Aaron Burr plotted to take over much of the Louisiana Purchase and Texas from America shortly after it was bought by the United States from France. Now, how did he do that? Well, he plotted with the then head of the U.S. Army at the time to basically create a small army, and they had guns and weapons on a privately owned island in the Ohio River. So basically, they were just amassing an army to just wrestle away an entirely new purchase part of the United States from the U.S. government because he was so salty that he didn't win the election. But here's a real kicker. The head of the U.S. Army at the time got cold feet and basically snitched on Byrd to Thomas Jefferson. And Thomas Jefferson, who was president at the time, did not like that ish. So basically ratted out on um, on Aaron Burr. Uh, he was tried but was not convicted of treason because they couldn't get one more witness to testify to treason, even though all the evidence was stacked against him of amassing the army and the weapons and the guns in a privately owned you know, place in the Ohio River. Um, which is interesting because in America, you either need to confess to treason or you need to get at least two witnesses to testify that you were going to commit treason. And obviously, Aaron Burr did not testify that he was going to commit treason. And they only had that one witness, which was the head of the military guy that he conspired with. And Aaron Burr got away on the skin of his teeth because they lacked one witness to his treasonous act. Kadang, dude. How weird is that? Like, you're so salty that... You didn't get office. You decided to literally incite a civil war. Like, that could have been the civil war before the civil war. True, true, true. Yeah. All because Aaron Burr was an asshole. But speaking of (laughs) (laughs) hip-hop... Wait, what what were your thoughts on that? No, I was just going to say, I think it's pretty amazing also, like... Granted, we learn about uh, Alexander Hamilton and and Aaron Burr somewhat throughout U.S. history... Uh, in school, like eighth grade, eleven or eleventh uh, grade, like eighth grade and fifth grade, right? Yeah. Um, and then like Hamilton kind of dives a little bit deeper than what I like previously knew about it, but then also just the fact that we don't get taught a lot of the things that we really need to know about U.S. history. This is very true. <laughs> like, what was it, Oklahoma, a while ago? Like they um. 
there Oklahoma was in the news when we were in high school for mm-hmm. some reason. It was it was something that they had to do about textbooks um and teaching a certain part of I think it was Native American history or um Christopher Columbus, I don't know. Yeah. I mean a lot of it I think previously also talks about like reservations as kind of like a good doing for the US before I feel like we got to like high school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Squanto and the yeah. whole like Pocahontas trip. I don't know, man. <sighs> Revisionist history is real, man. Yeah. All right. So man, a lot a lot has happened this month. Well, 2020 in general, but this month in general. This month in general has has been a lot. Um, rest in power, Chadwick Boseman, my king, King T'Challa. Uh, amazing! All the all the characters he played. The amount of characters and action movies that he did, all the content that he helped produce, while undergoing chemotherapy and surgeries for stage three and then later progressed to stage four colon cancer that's it's 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 phenomenal it's it's sad but i mean it's amazing that he did all these films and no one was the wiser and i actually i'm really grateful that we didn't necessarily hear about it because you know you'd have a I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a situation where the media reported on something before like a family even knew. Yeah. You know, or like, like for example, the Kobe Bryant situation, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the media reported within minutes that his helicopter went down and like it sucks that his family was, you know, the first like the only way that they found out was through media sources. Yeah. So you, you don't you know, want ever want to hear from TMZ first and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I mean, at least their family, you know, or at least his family got to Released the statement before the media got put out. So, rest in power, man. But yeah, uh, a lot of other things. Uh, the murdering of, or I mean, he's he's thankfully alive. But uh, Jacob Blake, um, yet another instance of police brutality. Uh, amazing that he survived seven gunshot wounds. Um, that's like it's like Fifty Cent, man. Fifty Cent got shot nine times and yeah. he was still alive. But so the fact that you can get shot seven times in the back and you know you're still alive, albeit you know he will be paralyzed from the waist down. But you know, I think better than being dead. Yeah, and I think a lot of that reflected in uh, sports, uh, especially with all of the games being boycotted on uh, this past Wednesday, August twenty sixth. Um, so we had both NBA games, WNBA games, MLB games. Um, and I think my first thought of uh, upon this was like, obviously, this is great for us to for, for players to be boycotting this. And the Bucks were the kind of the ones that led it in the NBA. But also got me thinking, like relatively, that if this was something that happened now or even more so four years ago in the nfl would players be able to get away with boycotting a game and i think it shows like how much more progressive the nba is um in terms of also just being able to allow them to put you know uh those social messages on the back of their jerseys but it was just amazing to see that the nba kind of i don't want to say allowed for it to happen because it kind of says it sounds like they're just tolerating the protest, but they did kind of like figure out a solution in the end. Um, but 
out of all the news that I was reading, I think the most interesting piece of information was that Kyrie Irving was kind of right. And we all really kind of make fun of him for being so anti-media. But he was absolutely on the spot for the fact that once games start playing again, the only thing that people care about is how much Luka is dropping or how much playoff P is like not performing uh, in a game rather than the actual uh, social injustices that are going on. And the fact that because playoffs are in a bubble this year, it took away or it took these players from their communities. And I think as SB Nation put it, like it really limited the opportunity for a lot of grassroots uh, movements to really grow because yes, they have the platform and the resources, but when they're not in those cities to be able to, you know, utilize them and demonstrate, then, uh, you know, what is it worth? I mean, it's, I think what you're saying is, you know, totally right. I think there's an argument to be made about, yeah, the NBA is very progressive compared to all the other major sports leagues that we have in America by giving an avenue to allow um, athletes to speak their mind by having, you know, projecting Black Lives Matter on the courts and allowing them to have certain social justice phrases on the back of their jerseys, um, as well as supporting the various initiatives like More Than a Vote um, and the Election Super Center stuff. Um, but I think there's an argument to be made, too, that it's a, it's a very strange type of protesting because it's almost like it's censored protesting or allowed yeah. protesting, That's you know, weird. versus genuine protesting doesn't really have doesn't need to have guidelines to it yeah. or needs to there's be no approved. rules around what a protest should and shouldn't be right so i mean but most will argue that you know those statements probably do more good than harm which i would probably agree with but it just i don't know it just makes you think about the type of protests that are allowed to happen versus the type that would probably get a lot more stuff done that mm-hmm. would bend a few rules and you know and it, it kind of goes to show that you know a lot of nba players when the george floyd protests first came out they were on the streets with normal people too yeah you know george we, hill was there uh, jalen brown was there demar um, so many others lamar, lamar yeah, yeah um just so it, it shows like the power that nba players can have when they're in their own communities and it's difficult being in the bubble uh, there's a lot of mental health issues too that we'll get into but i mean um, yeah, it just kind of sucks being separated from your community because it's not like, you know, being in the bubble gets rid of these social injustices that happen in the real world outside of it. Mm-hmm. And there's so much that you can do when you're in your community versus when you're kind of separated and isolated from them. Uh, and of course, I mean, there's still a lot that you can do, you know, that LeBron and all the other athletes are doing with, you know, uh, the boycotting surely as well as you know the various campaigns and stuff that they're uh that they're supporting but it's different yeah and i think also the other thing is uh, on thursday lakers and clippers um both voted to end the season um and i think with the bucks leading the cause to boycott wednesday's games and the lakers and clips both voting to end the season and then just probably unanimously being the top three championship contenders this year, uh, you can no longer say that it is the people outside of the bubble or the people who don't have a chance um, who are trying to, you know, bring uh, a light to this issue anymore. And I thought that was something that was going to be feasibly going to happen. 
But then after that, when the season was just decided to continue upon, I'm curious whether how much of that was the players own like uh, autonomously like choosing to resume the season or the influence of the league. Yeah, I wonder about that too. I wonder what I didn't hear a lot about Adam Silver and his initial response to all the NBA uh, boycotting. Yeah, and I don't think there was ever a statement by him either, but I also read that LeBron ultimately had like a phone call with Obama apparently, and um, with that, he was like, they talked about kind of using this boycott as leverage to continue playing, and ultimately something that they got out of that was turning all of the arenas into voting uh, stations for November. And I think that was really great. Um, I think Doc Rivers brought light to the fact that, you know, if we want to make um, a lot of change, voting is one of the best ways. Um, and, you know, we should aim to also encourage voter registration. And I think there were a lot of other things that the NBA Players Association voted upon too in order to like get more funding and donate more to um, the cause. Mm-hmm. Hey, busy, busy August. Yeah, the fight doesn't stop. Fight does not stop. Yeah, no. It, actually, what what you were saying before about the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Bucks having the most stake in this playoff series, but them also being the ones to call for an end of the season is so interesting because I mean they are you know the number one and two seeds respective in each of their conference with the highest chance of getting to the finals and you know winning a chip. Um, so them, you know, being the teams that are calling for an end of the season, it, it kind of defies expectations that, you know, the teams that would maybe be the eighth or the seventh seeds or already eliminated from the playoffs would be calling for those, uh, games to end. But it, it's, it's amazing to see the leadership from, you know, the top of the bracket. Um, so for anybody that, uh, didn't know, um, you know, obviously the, the protests that were happening, uh, was based in Kenosha, Wisconsin which is also the home state of the Bucks, And they had a, or they issued a statement shortly after um, Jacob Blake was shot and all the protests were emerging. They demanded that not only the officers be held accountable, um, the Wisconsin state legislator to reconvene, uh, but also they wanted to push for more people to be educated about the upcoming election and of course vote uh, come November 3rd. And that sparked an entire like wave of boycotting, not just the initial Bucks Magic game, but then the two games after that with the Rockets and the Thunder, and then mm-hmm. eventually the Lakers and the Trailblazers. And in fact, the playoffs after that, or the day after, were also postponed as well. Um, but not only did it, you know, but not only did it uh, postpone the NBA playoffs, it also postponed a lot of other games. Uh, in other sports too so and it was so amazing to see the wave of support come from other professional players in other leagues Mm -hmm. like uh, for example just a you know if people aren't uh, really sports um, oriented uh, just to give you like kind of a context of the wave that that occurred the WNBA uh, which has always been very supportive of their brother organization had uh, many games postponed Uh, in fact Many of their players uh, decided to wear shirts with seven bullet holes on the back 
of their shirts as a you know a testament to the protests that were happening in Wisconsin. Uh, the NFL. Uh, multiple teams actually canceled their practice during training camp. Uh, multiple players also decided to sit out too. Uh, the MLB, a couple games were postponed too, and indiv- individual players also sat out of those. The NHL, which is in the middle of their uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, delayed a couple of games. Even the MLS Soccer League in America had all their matches postponed. Uh, and uh, Naomi Osaka, you know, the tennis prodigy, up and coming. Uh, tennis prodigy he also threatened to drop out of her semi-final match in the Cincinnati Open as well uh, so it just you know this boycott that originated in the NBA just had this ripple effect um, around all the other professional leagues in America and it was so amazing to see the wave of support come out of that you know one decision or the one statement out of the out of the bucks yeah um, and I think it's just something that we we continue to see more and more and the people, you know, who continue to say shut up and dribble also don't want uh, you know, any they I I just don't understand the argument that these athletes do not understand uh these social injustices as much as anybody else does. You know, it's it's such an asinine argument to make cuz I mean, yeah, these uh, mind you, yeah, these professional players are making respectively a lot of money especially if you're the nba and the nfl um but that doesn't mean that you're separated from the reality of the color of your skin or the social injustices that you would face as someone who you know has a certain pigmentation it also for sure does not separate it's like been proven several times like several nba players have still been pulled over and tased. i think even a bucks player at one point too sterling brown sterling brown right so like even then, even when you think you've made it big and like you have the safety of being a professional athlete, like it, you know, like your skin color isn't something that you choose and it's something that people will continue to face until, uh, you know, they're heard. Right. I actually read a story that Maurice Harkless actually released on his social media. Uh, he shared a story that when he was still playing with the Trailblazers mm-hmm. uh, during his first playoff appearance with the Blazers, uh, he and his uh, little relatives, I think it was little brother and a cousin, uh, was in the car with him uh, driving to the game. And he was actually pulled over by a police officer. And the police officer was being very, very cantankerous, uh, assuming that you know the car was stolen mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, and it was only after he ran... You know, the license plate, his driver's license and registration that he came back and he was super chipper. He was like, oh, what's up, Mo? Uh, you know, good. Sorry mm-hmm. about that. Hope you play well. And then Mo was just like, you did not act this way when you assumed that like this car was stolen. Yeah. Like what? What's the deal, man? So it's it's amazing. Yeah, you cannot separate certain things, even if regardless if you're a professional athlete or not. And the other thing that happened this month with the released body cam footage uh, of the security guard who basically physically harassed uh, Masai Ujiri, the president of the Toronto Raptors. At the end of the NBA Finals, a president who had constructed and facilitated this organization to incredible success was simply just trying to get on the court so he could celebrate with his team and was shoved because... For no reason, right? Like, there's no warrant against any possible reason he could have been. He had a badge. He had his credentials. 
it, it just goes to show that this is something that continues to happen on all levels. Um, that being said, as we were talking about the NBA, now that the NBA has has been declared to resume, um, this is something that we didn't think about doing in the previous podcast just because the bubble had uh, only recently begun and we didn't know our playoff teams yet. But given the current playoff bracket now, uh, we're recording this on August 30th. Uh, so we're in the Eastern Conference semifinals, and we have two of our teams in the Western Conference semifinals. So we can we can start with the semifinals and then just kind of uh, go off of what team you're going to uh, – like it would be Rockets, Thunder versus Lakers or uh, Nuggets, Jazz versus Clippers, and we can start there. Mm-hmm. And we'll just go around and uh, say our predictions for the rest of the playoffs, um, what we think about how these teams are looking. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll start. So I say um, it looks like I really wanted the Thunder to win this series. I think that they had proved themselves in the regular season by showing that a ragtag team led by Chris Paul and Billy Donovan, like they didn't need you know anybody flashy in order for, for this to work. However, the the proof that they've been able to win that the Rockets have been able to win without Russell Westbrook is enough for me to full send because he's back now. And th- at that point, they just have enough power to where um, the Thunder won't be able to cut up. So I'll say the Rockets advance. And then with Lakers and Rockets, P.J. Tucker at center versus Anthony Davis, <laughs> Dwight Howard, gets, and JaVale McGee is going to get pummeled. But just destroyed in the paint so i'm gonna i'm gonna say 4-1 for a save a game in case harden goes off and he's able to carry them so 4-1 lakers rockets what do you have that that? too i have that too for the exact same reason you pj tucker cannot be your five man you know and sure you can chuck up as many threes as you possibly can but at the end of the day lakers is super deep they've got anthony davis Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee that will literally just dunk all over PJ. It's just, yeah, it's just, I don't see it happening. All right. And then moving down into the West, um, I say the Jazz are able to pull this off. I I think, I, I, I think, hot take. I really think that they have the better starting lineup um and that and again it's it's a hopeful but when all of their players in their starting lineup are getting minutes in like they're kind of playing like they were in their prime with Conley, Mitchell, Gobert, um Ingles that they they're a really solid team and again I think Murray and Jokic are just like I can't even say that they don't have playoff experience because they do, but I just I feel like they're too young. Like they're they're they seem like a rookie in this environment. But they've been doing very well in these playoff series. You can't drop fifty points. True, true. In a playoff game, and then what? The game right after that, he dropped what like forty two. Yeah, I, I and think Jokic has also been you know getting near triple doubles with like twenty five to thirty points too. So I mean, yeah, they're younger in their playoff experience, but they are killing it as far as like, or I mean, they're killing it better than some veterans out there. Yeah. Regardless of whether it's nuggets or jazz, I go Clippers four, two 
over either team. Um, seeing as how they played against the Mavs, um, when Kawhi and and PG aren't both playing well, it clearly shows that they're suffering from that. And either team, again, has that Luka ability to have one player go off and make it a difficult game for them. Also, side note, respect to Luka. I will always be his first fan, but it was amazing to see him play. That game for buzzer beater was great. And I really think that he could bring like a kind of like similar Spurs dynasty to Dallas if management doesn't mess it up. That's very fair. Uh, So you said Clippers over Jazz in six? In six. I would say the same if it's the Nugs too. Okay. I, I say the exact same thing, except I put, I'm, I'm having the Jazz win um, over the Nuggets. I mean, as we're speaking right now, the Jazz and the Nuggets are playing game six. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see if Jazz actually, you know, get their, uh, their next spot or if they got to go to a game seven. But I, I think the Jazz edge out. But yeah, no, I, I have the exact same Clippers over Jazz and six. All right. Now, uh, moving to the East, Bucks versus Heat. Who do you? Ha- what do you have going? I've got Bucks over the Heat in five. Okay, and then is your is your five for what reason? Um, I think the Bucks just have a ridiculous lineup, a super deep lineup. Um, I mean, when you when you kind of compare the matchup. In the starting five between the Bucks and the Heat, it's just it's it's ridiculous, you know. Like at the one, you've got buff ass Eric Bledsoe mm-hmm. against skinny ass Goran Dragic. <laughs> I mean, mind you, I mean Dragic is going to get you buckets, but um, I see the real the real thing to edge it out will be Giannis dropping gigantic numbers, uh, and also in that secondary too. I mean, the Heat in their secondary, the only person that really or the only people that really may can impact is Andre Iguodala, which is well past his prime, and then Kelly Olynyk, uh, which is okay. But I mean that Buck secondary is looking very good. So I've got it in five, and I don't think that Jimmy Butler is like a is a go off player. Mm-hmm. I mean he's very consistent, but I don't see him having enough energy to you know edge out all the deficiencies in that Heat lineup versus the Bucks. So I got Bucks over the Heat in five. I think when he was in Philly last year, he he was able to be a go off player, like especially like in clutch moments, he really got it for them. But he has not been that player this season, and I will go as far to say that I think it will be in four. I don't mm. think the Heat have adequate stopping power against Giannis or Middleton, just for sheer athleticism's sake, right? Like. Like, Adebayo is great, but he, he's not going to be able to stop Giannis. And then on top of that, I feel like you have a very limited amount of scores on the Heat. And with the Bucks being the number one defense, it's just going to become difficult for them to do anything. Oh, interesting. So you have you have the Bucks sweeping. Bucks sweeping, which would be interesting. I don't know if this has ever been done before. It probably has, but I'd be interested to look this fact up. The, if the Heat would be, like, the first team or not to sweep in the first round and then get swept themselves afterwards that's interesting yeah no i i had a game buffer because i like jimmy butler mm-hmm. so i just i gave myself one buffer uh but yeah 
Uh, and then the next game, maybe this is a hot take. Maybe this isn't. I've got Boston sweeping the Raptors. Sweeping? Yes. That is a hot take. That's a super hot take. And I, I don't have an intelligent reason why. I just have a feeling. I mean, they already won their first game against the Raptors, so three more to go. But I, I, I don't know. I, I'm telling you, I just have this weird feeling. I think it's going to happen. I mean, mind you, I think Fred Van Vliet is playing a like one of the best basketball I've ever seen in a while. Like he's, uh, especially compared to where he was two years prior, and then of course he went off in last year's playoffs, and then he's really taking the reins in this year's playoffs. Uh, but uh, I just really like the lineup for the Celtics. I mean, okay, so what I'll say is I originally, I want to say right before playoffs were starting, I would have said either team in seven um, mm. just because Toronto just looked that raw. Like I, again, like the Thunder, consistently amazed that without their all-star in Kawhi that they've been able to pull this off. But seeing how they play, like like if you compare the games of Celtics versus 76ers and uh, Raptors versus Nets, purely based off of that, like Raptors versus like Nets without Kyrie or KD should have just been like snap easy money, right? And I mean they swept, but like there were times in those games where they were just making like a lot of errors, and they just got away with the fact that Brooklyn was just bad. Like I don't think Toronto necessarily played well. Meanwhile, I think the Celtics had to play somewhat well in order to kind of sweep the 76ers. I agree. And then also going off of game one, now I'm leaning towards 70, or the Celtics. But I would still say and in seven, at least six, like I'm definitely not going for a sweep. Okay. We'll, we'll see who's right. I'm telling you, I just have a feeling. It's a weird feeling. All right. And then continuing into the bracket then. So we, so we both agreed that the conference finals would be Lakers versus Clippers. And Bucks versus Celtics. Right. So I have Lakers over the Clippers in seven. Ooh, bruh. And I say seven because I want it to be game seven. <laughs> that would be, I want to see an entire so series. Just LeBron versus Kawhi. Just, you know, AD versus... Uh, I don't know who Montrez, Montrez Harrell, I guess. Yeah, no, that Montrez Morris Harrell, twins against each other. I want to see a game where Lou Will drops forty off the bench. Like, I want a game where, no, I want like a stretch of games where, you know, uh, PG is just shooting horribly, and then in Game Seven he just goes off. Like, I, I want I, that scenario as also, a fan. You have the two pettiest point guards, Rondo and Pat Bev. I want to see that fight. <laughs> I want to see an actual fist fight on the court between that, that Rondo would happen between them two. <laughs> so yeah, so that's why it's really out of emotion and out of just bias of being a fan of the NBA. I just want to see a Lakers versus Clippers game in in seven. So, but I've got Lakers over the Clippers just because I like the narrative of LeBron. I'm just, I I just like it, you know. Of him, what would this be? His fourth ring, right? I was thinking of MVPs. Yeah, two heat and yeah, the Cavs. No. Um. So here's my thing: is 
That is a great narrative. Also going along with Kobe's passing this year would be a great narrative. Lakers win it. Same year as Kobe. (laughs) However, Kawhi winning on a third separate team with a finals MVP would forever, like, he's definitely at this point the greatest player of this, like, of, of these past three years. He can get that some other time. It's, you know, but the, but he the, could stay with it's, the Clippers. It's different. It's different. It's different. So, the point is, though, is that he's able to do it within the year, right? After the trade, he did it in one year in Toronto. Then he's going to do it in one year in LA. It's like he's a contract killer, you know, or a mercenary. Like a mercenary. You, you hire him if you want a chip, <laughs> and you'll get a chip guaranteed if you have him on your team. And although, although he betrayed us. You know, I I still think he's the greatest two-way player now, and I just want to see see him win. I think also the Clippers have a more depth um, in comparison to the Lakers. I think the Lakers' starting lineup is pretty deadly. I think LeBron and AD go off consistently, um, and then if KCP and Danny are actually making their threes, it's good. But after that, I don't know. You have Lou Will and Montrez. You have you have the sixth and seventh man somehow. I don't know how they're both nominated for sixth man of the year. And then you know Reggie Jackson. Now, um, I I just think that's better than Jared Dudley and Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, Jared Dudley is. I think he got his first minutes in the playoffs. Yeah, last <laughs> last game. So, whatever. So for for that, I'm going to say Clips and 7. I would like to see it go to 7-2, but it's Clippers. Okay, okay, cool. And then switching over to the other conference, I've got Bucks over Boston in 5. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think the they're going to face the same problem like every other team is that they just don't have somebody who can really adequately stop Giannis. Because it's going to be like a combination of Tatum and Cantor, and that's really not going to. Ha- Especially if Lopez is on the floor, then it's just Tatum, right? Right. So, yeah, I probably agree with with the not floor. a super hot take. Yeah. All right, and then finally, I've got Lakers over the Bucks in six. LeBron Finals MVP. Okay, so very similar. I had Clips, Bucks, 4-2, Kawhi MVP. Mm. Uh, I think either way, the true finals, as it has been for the past 20 years almost, like the majority of the time, the true finals is the Western Conference Finals. And, you know, hopefully we'll we'll switch to a 16-team, just a non-conference playoff bracket sometime in the future, but... It's it's definitely like it's just sad that like that's not what we get more coverage of, right? Like that's yeah, not like, the finals. It, it clearly doesn't make sense that you know, in on one side you've got teams with winning records that can't compete in the playoffs. Yeah. And then on the other side, just by nature of them being in a different conference, you have teams making the playoffs with losing records. It just I don't know. I I understand why they continue to do the East versus West. It makes sense narratively it's tradition but i, I it also, just think also doesn't serve 
players. I, I understand that logistically it's something that has to be done because you can't be uh, – they're trying to help players out with the amount of flying time that they're doing and traveling time. Um, and so I think ultimately that they would keep the regular season games the same, but they would do this thing where – I think they were saying that ultimately they would do a conference first round. Um, so in the sense that like, how do I put it this way? The, the idea that I saw is you would take the top 16 teams, but then geographically you would split those top 16 teams. So it might not be the split, same split every year, right? So, uh, if you have more Eastern teams, then the split might be closer to where Chicago is in the map, but it's just to help reduce those travel times. And oh, then after that first round, they would just rank regularly. Okay. One, one through eight. Or the, whoever see. makes it to the next round. Right. With that being said, I guess we can now transition to one of our main topics for today's podcast, which is... Um, there's been a lot of new music coming out recently, and Michael and I usually like talk about this music a lot um, as a... We usually introduce each other to a lot of music. Michael, to me, rather more than the other way around. But um, something that Michael started, I think, during the spring semester, or was it earlier than that, was a, a definitive ranking and analysis of almost every rap album he had ever listened to. Yeah, it was the beginning of the of the spring semester. I don't know. It's just a fun thing to do. I mean, mind you, I'm not an expert when it comes to music theory or breaking down the certain components of a song, like, oh, they're using this type of 808 on this song, or I really enjoy the snare pattern on this song. Like, I'm just going based off of purely Michael metrics. Yeah. Do I like the production? Do I like the lyrics? Are there funny one-liners that I will listen to or that I remember more than others? Did I enjoy listening to the album? Did I not enjoy it? How you know many times do I replay the album on a consistent basis? There's certain metrics that I give myself so that I know in my mind what albums I like more than others. And I can quantitatively look at and explain why I like certain things more than I do. So in the spirit of that, we're gonna kind of break down some top five hip hop albums that we enjoy. Some disclaimers before we start talking about these is these are albums that we kind of made this decision are not what we deem as the top five greatest of all time, but for us personally, our favorite albums we personally like to listen to, and I think one of the biggest factors in choosing these was like replay replay value and like how much do we personally listen re-listen to these songs on a daily basis um and kind of using that metric to determine this the other thing is we also limited it to one album per artist otherwise you know i would probably have one artist dominate my entire top five but yeah fair we've limited it to one album per artist so we'll just most likely our, our favorite album or the one that resonates with us the most. So we'll start at number five. Go ahead, kick it off. All right. So this one, I, I think we've had both similar experiences trying to choose that last number five mm-hmm. album. I really 
went back and forth. And while I consulted my spreadsheet that I already had prior to creating this list to kind of fill in a lot of these spots, this spot actually kind of came a little bit further down on the list because I forgot how much I actually enjoyed listening to the album. So number five for me is Logic's first studio album, Under Pressure. Interesting. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's certainly a dark horse on this list. Uh, and it's one, and Logic is also a an artist that people really like to meme because he talks so much about you know being biracial and uh, is certainly a less popular rapper than a lot of the other artists that mainstream people or that mainstream uh, hip hop listeners listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, he had recently retired from hip hop with his last album called No Pressure. So very interesting how you know his first album was Under Pressure, last album was No Pressure. So. You know, fun little segue there. But essentially, I put it at number five just because uh, certain things I just really enjoy about his music. Uh, He's always been known for his lyricism as an artist, his ability to tell a story while using very complex uh, rhyme schemes and also be able to switch up his flow a lot. Um, Now, this album because it's his first studio album that he largely produced in the basement of his home. uh, Mm -hmm. It's not the beats and the production is not the most impressive parts of the album and is certainly why it's number five on the list. Um, there's a certain like boom bap quality on a lot of the, on a lot of the songs, uh, that doesn't overwhelm the listener, but I can understand why people would be kind of, wouldn't really dig it just because some of the beats kind of sound the same or Mm -hmm. can sound repetitive. But in my opinion, I really like it because it leaves a lot more space for Logic just to rap and just drop bars over it. You know, you're not constantly overwhelmed by these, you know, sultry tones and these mysterious vibes like you would with like Travis Scott or any other like Houston rappers, for example. Um, But the main reason why I really enjoy this album and I listen to it a lot is just because of the storytelling aspect of it. I'm a sucker for stories uh, and... Anytime a uh, an artist decides to share part of their life or explain in a way that uh, is really entertaining, uh, some of the best songs on the album, in my opinion, uh, is Soul Food, where you know he, it really is a storytelling song where he's rapping what it was like growing up in a very impoverished Section Eight part of Maryland. Uh, Gang related is a rapid fire song, uh, giving the perspective of what it's like to live in the projects, both as a youth as well as like a hardened gangbanger. Uh, he's got this one song called Nikki, which sounds like a song about a toxic relationship with a woman at first, but then you later find out that he's actually talking about his addiction to nicotine as in cigarettes. So I knew that when I listened to that song and he said, like, I'm in love with the nicotine, I was like, whoa. So I re-listened to the song and I was like, damn, he's actually talking about his like problems with addiction. Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting. And then of course, you know, the, the name of the album, the song uh, called Under Pressure, it's the longest song. Uh, of course, you know, his rapping on there is phenomenal. Boom Bap is amazing. It's a mix of boisterous flexing like a lot of rappers do. But then it also transitions into a really nice, appreciative and also apologetic song to his family members and friends that he... Uh, got distracted from or couldn't spend enough time with because of his life as a rapper and all the you know new fame that comes with being a hip-hop rapper um so yeah that's that's why it's number five for me a little bit lower key song and certainly one that an artist that 
not too many mainstream people listen to, but it's an album that I really, really appreciate nonetheless. Yeah, that, that was, I think that was great. A lot of great reasons for it. Logic is somebody who I have failed to get into, I think. Um, but I think after hearing that, I might give it another try. I, I will say disclaimer, in my opinion... And this kind of sucks, but I think his first album, Under Pressure, is actually the best one out of all the ones that kind of came out with. He's got a couple of bangers in all the other, you know, albums that come after, for example, 1-800, which, you know, with Khalid and um, uh, Alicia Alicia Cara, which was, you know, blasted all over the radio. Uh, And you'll have a couple of those. But in my opinion, the best album that I enjoy listening to is that first one. Who you got for number five? So number five, and uh, this is purely just replay value. Um, Somebody I I only recently got into in college. Um, And almost a a local artist, if you will. It is uh, Brockhampton, uh, Saturation 2. Shout out Sam Marcus. (laughs) Um, I really am a fan of their genre blending music i think it's phenomenal um and the reason i pick saturation 2 in particular is i think the saturation trilogy as a whole was great um i i would have put iridescence up next i think but um saturation 2 just because i think it has such a wide range of uh songs that you can listen to and i think i've heard this argument for like other people but it is really one of those songs or one of those tr- albums where there really is uh so much diversity in voice in topics uh and like vibes and in production throughout the entire piece um i think one of the best songs uh on that track is junkie and it's like an amazing storytelling of being queer and black in san marcos and it's just like a phenomenally written song and i think it like could be nominated easily for like poetry like it's incredibly well written and then on top of that like the delivery on top of the production makes it even better um gummy jello swamp all bangers that i listen to like frequently and um i don't know it's just it's one of those tracks that's continuously replayable and i will probably listen to it i want to say like Back when we were still at UT, at, at least at least once or twice a week, walking to class, it was a uh, was always on. You know, it's funny that you choose Brockhampton and that you actually mentioned before that I will recommend music a little bit more than you would recommend to me. Brockhampton yeah. is actually a group that I started listening to because you listen to them a lot. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's funny how that works, but yeah, Brockhampton's got a lot of bangers. I personally prefer uh, the first saturation one. That's mm-hmm. just because there was a time where I would not, I would, I had star on repeat. Dude, that was a, that is a great song. It just is all like song. the, the pop culture references. Yeah. I was like, it's like I was finding a new Easter egg in every single lyric. I was like, oh my God. So like, but, also I had to listen to it 10 times so I could pick them because the first time, like I would just like get so excited after the first line and you miss the next line after that. And it looks like every single line was filled with all these references and was so great to dissect. But hey, solid. Saturation 2. I love that album too. Mm-hmm. Number four, out of Houston, Ooh. as well as ambassador for the University of Texas at San Antonio. 
for a time, a little bit. Yeah. World by Travis Scott. Interesting. That summer of 2018, when it dropped, man, I was doing the Macomb Summer Institute. You know, we were uh, we, we were staying together while you were doing that uh, or that teaching thing. Astroworld was on my Spotify 24-7. It was all that I was listening to for a month, two months, mm-hmm. three months straight. Um, it's got a mix of everything, really. Uh, whereas... Under pressure, the real focus was the lyricism and the storytelling. For me, Travis Scott is the master of production and beat making. Um, you know, storytelling and the lyricism is not as impressive, obviously. In fact, some of the times you can't really understand what Travis is saying. But that's not really the point. You know, the point is to kind of get into a trance and get into the energy of how the song makes you feel. And, I mean... For me, I think like all the songs, the album kind of falls into three categories. One I have named songs to sing along to while softly bobbing your head in the car at night while going 75 on an empty highway. So I've got Carousel, Rip Screw, Stop Trying to Be God, Skeletons, you know, all that stuff. Um, Just songs that I love listening to in the car. And it's just a vibe, man. It's just a vibe, especially if it's raining outside. It's like, ugh, it's great. You've got some raid shit in there, too. Stargazing, sicko mode, of course, butterfly effect, just stuff to turn up to. And then you also got some sad boy songs like Wake Up, Yosemite, Can't Say, Don Tolliver, which actually, uh, this album got me into all the Don Tolliver stuff mm. before uh, he actually dropped his album. So not trying to be a hipster, but I was listening to Don Tolliver before. You know, all TikTok. TikTok got to it, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just it's just a great mix of everything. I this is an album that I will constantly replay, no matter what time of day it is, season, ever since 2018. So it's number four for me. So with the whole Don Toliver stuff, I just got into him because of the TikTok stuff, and I actually went back and I listened to "Can't Say" off of uh, Astroworld, and. I do, I do love Don Tolliver because of how much he sounds like Akon. I have to say, with with Travis Scott and with Drake, they those are they fall into my category of artists where I really like their bangers or whatever they're featured on. But I've never enjoyed listening to a full album of theirs. That's interesting, and I I get it. Just because like there's there's definitely a variety of songs. Yeah. But for me, Astroworld like is an unskippable album, mm-hmm. which is a album which is interesting because I I personally am very fickle when it comes to albums. Like I will only have like pick like two maybe two or three songs from each albums and put, just put them in a playlist. Yeah. I very rarely have unskippable albums, but this is an unskippable for me. So, but I get it. All right. Well, show number four. Number four. Trap Lord, ASAP Ferg. Freaking hype beast. This It's purely why it is. Uh, something that you told me to do, I think, freshman or sophomore year, is, uh, be- backstory real quickly, is um, whenever Michael would get prepared for exams, he would put in his headphones, get hyped, and just like kind of start punching his bed a little bit before walking out the door. And that's something I did with like sports, but I never really thought it could apply to academics, but he told me that it would work. So I went ahead and created 
a pre-exam playlist that I have I have not changed since then. It's it's stayed the exact same. It's like some Eminem, some other some rock songs, and then like a lot of ASAP for and purely off of the Trap Lord album. And I think that's why it it makes them my replay value so high is because I love all of those work Shaba Fergavicious Lord Cocaine Castle. Um, murder something if that doesn't make you want to like destroy your test when once you get in like rip it to shreds in front of your professor i don't know what will yeah just like that's that's my beef with all these pre-meds man like they're uh, i when i first came into ut i was looking around you know in my first couple of exams and you'd have those you know super anxious stressed out kids that were studying to the last second the last Mm -hmm. possible second just to get one more flashcard in or one more, you know, reaction in, uh, they, you know, they, they were filling out the, all the information on their Scantron as they're trying to like look over at their notes. Um, but I tried to do that. I just stressed myself out. So at some point I was like, you know what? In sports you have, you know, pregame playlists. Why can't you do that for tests? So I decided like, regardless if i knew any of the material or not 10 to 15 minutes before a test either as i'm walking to it or you know in my room before i start the test i'm going to reserve that time for get your mind right music so my playlist also had a lot of asap ferg in it coincidentally among other things uh but hey you know if you're a current student at ut and you're still you have trouble with test anxiety try it out it helped Uh me let me ask you this. Did your playlist have to be in order or did you shuffle it? No, completely shuffled. Interesting. Because I mean, like I said, like I'm super I'm kind of fickle when it comes to music. Mm-hmm. I I too won't listen to albums all the way through. Uh I prefer to pick the ones that I like into a playlist and then like even on, you know, days where I had a test to do, Maybe I wasn't necessarily feeling ASAP Ferg that day, so I want to listen to, you know, some Suicide Boys if I was, like, really super dark, or maybe I didn't want to listen to either of those, so I wanted to listen to some, I don't know, uh, Metallica, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, all the songs in that playlist deserve to be in there, but, you know, sometimes they'd be, they wouldn't necessarily have to go in order. Because, like, you know, like I said, like, I I was reserving 10 to 15 minutes before, you know, each exam. So, if you're just listening to the same song over and over and over again, for me, it would get kind of old. And I want to listen to some new stuff. That's interesting you said. I, I had to, like, I would shuffle beforehand, whatever, while I was, like, doing my last minute studying. But the, I needed to hear the last three songs in a row every single time I took an exam. And it was Murder Something by ASAP Ferg icon jaden smith and berserk by eminem like it had to be those three right before i walked in let me actually open up my playlist because i had a very similar experience oh also by the way just an update the nuggets won against the jazz so we got a game game seven, seven. Ooh, let's get it yeah, jamal no, dropped me... 50 again jesus this guy's a monster yeah let me let me go into my playlist real quick and see Yeah, I I recently transitioned my playlist to 
uh, called Just Robbed One of My Ops and Made Him Say Sorry. Um, although it would vary the mm-hmm. types of songs I would listen to leading up to the test, it was very similar with you. Um, there was always a song that I probably needed to end off of. And let me see if, what what was it? I'm trying to remember. It would change every now and then, but I'm pretty sure it was Crunky Dead. <laughs> <laughs> it was Crunkate Dead. Dude, I should add that. that. I should sure. add that to mine. It's super good, man. I'll share. I'll share my playlist so you can get to it. But yeah, but I was also thinking, you know, that's that's probably something I'm gonna tell my kids to do. Is hey, you know, if you if you're ever freaking out before a test, put on that pre-exam playlist. Like I'll I'll let you I'll let you walk into class with some headphones on until we have to put the te- hand the test out. Go for it. Hey, Blair from the speakers yourself, bro. <laughs> Just like having a blasting in the classroom, like, what were you choosing today? Do a concert. What are we feeling like? <laughs> All right. So that was a cool tangent. Um, number three on my list, and this is kind of similar, my reasons for putting World at number four. I got Love is Rage 2 by Lil Uzi Vert. Okay. Lil Uzi. All right. So I put the best way that I can describe what this album is for me and the place it has my heart is this phrase. It's walking down Speedway alone at 5 p.m. in late fall semester, hoodie up, AirPods in with a slight cool breeze. Yeah, I get that vibe. That's that's the vibe that I get whenever I listen to Love is Rage, regardless of the time. And, you know, similar to like, you know... uh, to Astroworld, it's got, you know, a a good mix of everything. It's got songs that will involuntarily make me do the Lil Uzi shoulder roll without fail. You know, the... Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's got car music, Neon Guts, that joint that he had with Pharrell. It's got some turn-up stuff, too. You know, diamonds all on my wrist. Diamonds all on my wrist. And then, of course, it's also got some sad boy stuff. Exo Tour Life, 20 Minutes, super sad boy stuff. It's just, it's just like a perfect mix for turn-up stuff, stuff to get you sad, stuff that you know makes you feel like a bad bitch, all that stuff. I think Exo Tour Life was my number one played song, whatever that year was. You wouldn't be the first. 2017? certainly not the last. Yeah. Dang. All right. So speaking speaking of vibes, the artist is Kanye, and I was really thinking about doing 808s and Heartbreaks, but I think it, it might be a nostalgia thing of where I think about, similar to the pre-exam mentality, sitting outside of your round, cutting those last minute cards. We always have to peeping mention peeping over, peeping over, seeing that opponent being like, oh you ain't gosh. shit. <laughs> but so because of that, it's Yeezus. Yeezus is a very good album. I I will go as far to say is I didn't even enjoy Life of Apollo that much. So I can say it's, it was Kanye's last great album. Mm, interesting. Um, but banger after banger after black skinhead new slaves blood on the leaves bound to um and then my my like late night driving song like in the feels type of song for so long was hold my liquor at the age of like 16 
What I was. You, what are I you was so sad about. <laughs> I was like not drinking or anything. It just had that vibe. That's kind of the similar feeling I get off of some like those like Astro Thunder mm-hmm. and um, like Lil Uzi Vert songs or sorry Astro World and Lil Uzi songs. So I get I get what you're saying. <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, I think Jesus is definitely the, in my opinion, Kanye's best album. I mean, shorter compared to a lot of his other work. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a certain nostalgia that I feel off of, like, you know, college dropout, graduation, 808s, uh, dark twisted fantasy that I really enjoy. But Yeezus yeah. just, just like you, I think you said it perfectly, just banger after banger after banger after banger. And again, not not to be confused with the fact that I definitively, like objectively, Yeezus is his best album. I'll acknowledge that. Right, like I, I definitely think you could argue "Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy" is, but Yeezus is just my personal favorite. We got you on the record saying that. All right, uh, should I go number two? Yeah. All right, so for number two, this this is going to be a real interesting one. Um, I think that this might catch you off guard. There's only two rappers that that I think you know are going to be left for me. I I know. Yeah, I'm interested to hear who's number two and who's number one, but I know who both of them are. Oh, I don't think that's what's going to be surprising for you. So, J. Cole, J. Cole is next. He's my number two. Okay. My album of choice, though, however, my personal favorite and what speaks, I feel like what really resonated with me and I found as like an actually unskippable album. Like, I am swear to God, I never actually skip it when I listen to it. K.O.D. Okay, <laughs> and I feel like that that's gonna get a lot of judgment because, like, I understand for your eyes only. Twenty fourteen, four sales drive. I love them. It's not that I don't love them. I love them. They're great right. albums, right? Even you could even say that about Born Sinner too. But if I was really honest about with myself, Kod is the one where I've never felt the urge to hit the skip button. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at that. What what are what are songs that you really like from KOD that you prefer? Um I think ATM was great. I think the music video that went with ATM what spoke volumes. Count it um, up. Count it up. Count it up. Count it. Uh Photograph was great. Uh Kevin's Heart, again the music video that followed with it, also great. 1985, wonderful message to young and upcoming artists. Um and then he followed up that up with Middle Child later on, but like 1985 by itself just was great. Okay. I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that. My number two, Nothing Was the Same by Drake. Very interesting. It is very interesting. Now, when I wrote down Nothing Was the Same by Drake, I put an asterisk by Drake's name because we're unsure how much of his own songs he actually wrote. Mm-hmm. That's versus ghostwriters so but we're gonna we're gonna forgo that the entire debate about you know how much he's actually written his own material and we're just gonna go based off of the songs that were on this album um like for me I, i'm i'm not a giant drake stan mm-hmm. you know certainly not as big as some people that we've known in our life yeah um but this album in particular is just like it's also an unskippable album for me every song has a place it has a purpose it's a solid mix between sad boy stuff 
um, turnip stuff. Uh, and this came also at a very young and impressionable time in my life in 2013 as a freshman in high school. So, I mean, I was bumping this stuff all the time. But, you know, I mean, from the very top, you know, Drake's discography will always, you know, have with it his intros. Every single intro song that gets into his album will always, you know, be good ones. So Tuscan Leather is no exception to that. Amazing song. Um, Other highlights. Started from the bottom, literally broke the internet our freshman year. You know, the music video to that was boisterous. It was crazy. Um, So that also had a nostalgia feel to it mm-hmm. worst behavior the language pound cake all me you know with the features by two chains and big sean Dude. like all those all those songs were just like it was just banger after banger after banger after banger and it was a mix too it what all of it wasn't like turn up stuff it was you know uh like for example, hold on, we're going home. It was a sing song. It was one of the very few sing songy Drake songs that I actually didn't and did not not enjoy listening to. You know, because mm-hmm. sometimes sing songy Drake would kind of get on my nerves a little bit. But this song was actually, it was, it was beautiful. So replay value was also a big consideration too. So just shoots me back to a time when yeah. things were simpler. <laughs> All right. Number one, let's hear it. Good Kid, Mad City by Kendrick oh, Lamar. Oh, yes, let's go. Bam, 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 bam. I knew it was going to be a let's go. All right, listen, let's start. Listen, everyone, you got to understand, okay? This album has everything, okay? The vast, majority, the vast majority of it is full of multi-platinum caliber songs, each that can be bumped all by themselves. They can be listened to in any and every environment, in the car with the bass boosted, which is my personal favorite, walking down the street, jamming in your room by yourself. On top of that, through masterful storytelling, Kendrick gives us a little insight of what it means to grow up in Compton, gang influences, substance abuse, women. Kendrick does more than tell, but also shows us all these aspects through complex lyrical content about a good kid just trying to escape the cycles of poverty, addiction, and death in a mad city. One of the best rap albums ever, period, in my opinion. Couldn't agree more. To, uh, good Kid, Mad City was the first rap album I ever listened or was the first Kendrick album I ever listened to. 2014. Not to throw it back to debate again, but VBI. And then, um, but yeah, just as you said, every song is a banger, can be listened to on its own, but when you connect that puzzle together and listen to it through fully and not skip a single thing, it is wonderfully told and it paints an amazing picture inside your head for you to experience. Um, and I was just looking at that full track list again, as I was doing this and we were talking about, you know, how many of those songs do you really save from each album and put into a playlist or just kind of save and keep in your artist folder on Spotify? There are 12 tracks on the song, on the, on the album, right? The only one I do not have is the intro. Yep. So that's 2 through 12. I've Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe, Backseat Freestyle, The Art of Peer Pressure, Money Trees, Poetic Justice, Good Kid, Mad City, Swimming Pools, Sing About Me, I'm Dying of Thirst, Real, and Compton. I I'm so proud of us. I'm so proud of us that we have standards. <laughs> but hey, that's that's it. And if anybody, you know, 
wants to fight about it, feel free to reach out. We'll fight you on it. If anybody thinks Drake is better than Kendrick, glad to have the argument. <laughs> yeah, because Kendrick actually writes his stuff. But hey, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, like I said, super proud of us that we have standards. Yeah. But throwing it now back, but also forward. Other news in the NBA. Playoff P returned. Yes, he did. It was a long time coming, but he got there. Yeah. Now, (laughs) when did he actually give himself the name Playoff P? I think he gave himself the name when, in previous playoffs, he didn't, he he didn't like use it this year because he knew it was being bad, but he gave it to himself previous years. Um, I think, I think probably Pacer days. And then I remember Charles Barkley came out and said, like calling yourself playoff P is like me calling myself championship C. (laughs) And, but like so many people were ripping on him because he just wasn't performing, but then like game five, he dropped 30 something points. So he finally came back. Right. So for anybody that likes the NBA but isn't necessarily following too closely the playoffs, uh, I've got a list of stats that kind of show why Paul George showing up and dropping 35 points on Game 5 was so significant. So for the 2019-20 season, uh, he averaged 21.5 points a game, shooting 44%. With 41% from three. All right, so decent stats. Yeah, he, Very you, decent you are, stats. A, he was, you could argue he was a top t- 20, at maybe 10 player in the NBA. Right, and certainly a very important asset to his team, the number two seed in the playoffs. Now, when they started their series against Dallas, uh, playoff P had a, actually a rather decent game in Game 1. He dropped 27 points, uh, shooting 45% from the field, and then shot 4 of 11 from 3, so that's 36%. Now, mind you, 36% probably doesn't sound okay, or it sounds okay, but it's certainly not the worst shooting we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Until the games to follow, <laughs> when in Game 2, he had 14 points, shooting 23% from the field and 4 of 17 from 3. So that's 20% three-point shooting. You think it would get worse, but no. After that, for game 3, he had 11 points. You think it would get better? Oh, you think it would get better or worse. I don't know. Uh, He shot. He had 11 points in game 3, shooting 19% from the field, making... One of eight three points. So that's a 12.5% three-point shot. Now, mind you, he was actually kind of close to a triple-double because he had nine rebounds and seven assists. But you know, but overall, as far as scoring is goes, scoring goes, it, it was pretty abysmal. And then game four, if it couldn't get worse, he had nine points, shooting 21% from the field, one of seven from three. So that's 14%. So he had a stretch where he was shooting just ridiculously horribly, statistically horribly. So obviously, you know, haters going to do what haters are going to do, and they're going to go to Twitter, and they're going to troll him all over the time. Or they're going to troll him. So, I mean, 
rip. But, and game five happened, and he blew all expectations out of the water with 35 points, 66% from the field, and then making four of eight from three. So that's 50%. So he really, you know, so, so when people are saying like, oh my God, Paul George is back, they really mean for that one game. Just because, but that's only important because of just this ridiculous stretch in playoff games where he's just shooting abysmally. Now, uh, game six, which they just played today, and the Clippers actually won against the Mavs. Uh, he had 15 points, shooting 31% from the field and two of seven from three. So, not a very impressive game to end the series, but. People aren't really talking about that. They're more important about, you know, it's more important that the performance that he had in game five. But the reason why playoff P is poignant is because uh, he actually, Paul George, when he was questioned by reporters about, you know, the shooting slump that he was in, he attributes a lot of it to being in the bubble. You Mm -hmm. know, obviously being away from your family uh, in this new, isolated, place in Orlando where there aren't actual you know fans in the stand to give you that energy boost that you need and that hype factor uh it's depressing it -hmm. really is depressing and can certainly affect a player's psyche so that's what he attributes a lot of it to which I buy I get it I'm not mad and I think DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love I had previously talked about depression anxiety they faced in the NBA um even outside the bubble. And so I think like it's it's really um promising that more of these players are opening up about the issues that they face competing on such a high level. And then recently Danny Green also talked about the what it's like to be inside the bubble too because he too also was shooting pretty abysmally for the Lakers mm-hmm. and then he was also the target of all the trolls on the internet about all the shooting too. So he actually basically came out and was like, "Yeah, I know everything that Paul said was pretty true." Mm-hmm. But you know, like you just look at your phone and all you see are people making fun of you and bullying you and it's the worst. And moreover, you're away from your family, away from your support system in this random bubble. It it can do a lot to your mental. Uh, but you know, it's good it's good that he got that game under his belt of confidence. Mm-hmm. Continuing into other news, um, New York Times has published an article that will help you keep up with the number of coronavirus cases on every college campus in the U.S. And I'm happy to announce that UT may not be top 10 school in football or basketball or any other NCAA sport, but we are top 10 in corona cases. So (laughs) I think, uh, come on, guys. Ugh. You know what is great, though? You know what is great? A&M is ahead of UT. So That'd be can, a first. We, we still have that. We still have that, is that we're, we're better than A&M. But even better, the number one worst university right now, University of Alabama, has almost 2,000 cases. I just want to know, what did faculty and staff think was going to happen? Like, the... Not not to berate the administration, because I'm sure, you know, being in charge of an entire university is difficult, mm-hmm. especially when you have to adjust to a global pandemic. But you, you can't cite student confidence 
as your main or how do I say you can't rely on teenagers and young adults to take their health into their own hands and be <laughs> and actually actively invest in their you, own health you are asking students who believe they are immortal at this point in their lives to be safe and take precautionary measures like the amount of st- Stupid things that I have seen my peers that attend I, I the even... best public university in the state of Texas do is <laughs> like I do not trust these people to take care of themselves. But, but also, like I'm just thinking, like personally, like what the things that we would do on like maybe like a weekend basis in college, like college students, period, are just not good decision makers, right? Like you can't. Regardless whether you think that they're amazing students or not, they just can't make... They're not mentally mature enough to be making health decisions on their own. Um, but I guess I guess UT needs that, that money from, from dorming and housing and meal plans and whatever. And then moreover, we're still planning on having a fall football schedule oh hook em, baby texas is back capacity non-conference game against el paso to help us build the momentum and then only conference games will somehow still us to ou i'm ready for it i don't i don't know man i just how i don't know how can you be top 10 in covid cases in the united states and still expect that your football season is going to be fine with 50% capacity in a 100,000-seater stadium. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Our, our stadium at 50%, 50% capacity is still bigger than, like, half of the NFL stadiums that exist. Like, where where do you think all the cases are coming from, I wonder? What do you mean, coming from? Like, like... So we're we're top ten yes. in COVID cases. Where do you think those are concentrated? Do you think like, there's a certain demographic of student? Or oh, for sure, for sure. And I'm like, we'll be very blunt about it. And it's Greek life. I just it's I it's like it's so like if you unless you can scientifically prove to me like on a on, like and show me the statistics and it's not Greek life, I will continue to believe that it is because of the sole reason of what I see on social media. And it's not like, I'm sure they're not facts, but like the fact that I can see images and videos of Rush Week and pledges congregating on lawns in front of these massive houses is enough evidence for me to believe that it's concentrated within Greek life. I would agree with that. And it all just goes back to you can't trust young people to take their own health into their own hands at some point like even though it sounds very paternalistic you've got to step in and put in rules because yeah. people are just going to go buck wild in the meantime and i mean like i don't know my sister's been a been pretty smart about it and like they're essentially just locking themselves in their apartment taking that weekly trip to heb and nothing else um but Sooner or later, West Campus is going to become a petri dish if they don't if they don't do something soon. 
I wonder how long it'll take for them to completely transition to entirely online like we did at the end of the or during the middle of the spring semester last year. So that that's one thing that still confuses me is the, is the logic in that, not just for colleges, but for schools at every level where at, at, at spring break, when we had how many cases in the U.S.? Maybe, let's say, at least under 5,000, 10,000 maybe. Um, we felt the need to shut down schools then and switch everybody to purely online then. And now that we are over, I don't even know the stats anymore because they keep growing. All It seems exponentially. Well, so as far as coronavirus deaths go, we got our peak uh, around the mid-April. So the week of like April 14th through the 19th, uh, that was the highest spike that we've seen. But since then, uh, the deaths have dramatically decreased. Um, but as far as active cases go, it's still not a very impressive number. Like we're flattening out for sure, but that's only after what, what's the death toll now? Like we're reaching almost 200,000 deaths in the United States. Yeah. Like that's not, that's a Pyrrhic victory. That's mm-hmm. not anything to snuff at. So, and, and it's just amazing that we've reached that many deaths, right? In, in how many months and. Um, sure, we're flattening the curve, but now we feel that is it comfortable to go back to school at a hybrid level or even just full-on in-person. Um, but ultimately, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a learning experience for everybody, hopefully. I have a lot to learn on my mindset. I fully went into this job thinking I would be teaching what I thought would be considered normally, and... I've been making video after video to upload for kids to watch because I don't. It is just like it's a completely new time. I think we'll we'll learn a lot about education through this and how much is necessary, even at a college level. Like, what are you really paying for at the end of the day? YouTuber slash teacher. Slash Who would have thought? <laughs> hey, don't forget the coach. But yeah. Oh my goodness. Um. In other news, Bezos hit a $200 billion net worth. I follow a Twitter account called Jeff Bezos has decided not to end world hunger today. Mm -hmm. And every single day they tweet out, Jeff Bezos has decided not to end world hunger today. Yeah. Which is very valid and very true. Yeah. Um, Just amazing that we are closer to being millionaires than he is. Um, who knows what he does with all of that money? Nothing. At some point, what what can you do? Literally just start another company. I'm trying to do the math. He would, if he gave every person... I mean, he could definitely give every single person in the world a dollar... He give every person ten dollars, and he would still be at one hundred thirty billion. <laughs> he would be at what he was like two years ago. Um, but amazing to see that. And then um, along along that note, I forgot what I was gonna say. Um, oh, Amazon released this new wearable tech to compete against 
you know, Apple Watch, Fitbit, Whoop, all of those. But it's supposed to have Alexa built in. And essentially, like, as well as monitoring your heart rate, your steps, your activity, whatever. They will listen to you in order to track your emotions. So if they can hear you, the idea behind it is that if they can, like, hear you tense and like in an angry tone and then also recognize that your heart rate is up and then pair that data together then later on throughout the day they can be like we recommend a meditation session because it seems like you like went off on a person at 2 p.m but this is just robots taking over the world step by step i can literally already see the sci-fi apocalyptic scenarios happening right now ai just getting so smart tracking you know <laughs> how to how to social engineer and how to manipulate humans by tracking how often they go off and what they go off at i mean it's our devices listen to us anyway like you know when you say hey alexa like it has to listen in order for it to turn on or respond or anytime mm-hmm. you say hey siri that means that your phone has to be listening to you um and then not to mention you know all the times that I, I did an experiment one time where I chose a product that I would never consider buying ever. So I chose mascara because mm-hmm. I would I would never buy mascara. So I would casually just say the word mascara as many times as I feasibly could around my phone. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, I get ads for beauty products, namely mascara. Like we're already in the end game, man. Robots are Dude, here. That's crazy to think about. Um, like, I'm already just thinking about like the disaster scenarios of what'll happen when just you know we get chipped, yeah, by Elon, and then our devices are listening to us and tracking if we're angry or not. Ooh, that's a that's a great transition. I am now a proud <laughs> shareholder of Tesla. <laughs> Why? They lose make... money on every no, no, single no, 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 car no, no, they build. No, 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 no. Tesla they rely stock has on investors in the past year because they are finally making profit. And you know what? If I'm taking that much more of Elon's share, then so what? That That's kudos to me. I just don't think it's a good long-term investment. I mean, the Cybertruck looked horrible. I'll, I'll I'll pull out I'll pull out when the time comes, but it was dumb. Uh, but, I mean, I get it. It's a good wait, but why Tesla? There are uh, so many. You could buy so many stocks in any other like industries. So yeah, I mean, I did a variety. I think I I did Apple, Amazon. I mean, I did a lot of tech. Let's say Microsoft, Netflix, Disney. Um. But yeah, I've just been using Robinhood as a as a way to become more financially literate. I thought financial literacy was something you only needed to know if you were a business major and you're going into that type of career. But oh, I no, no, no. I soon learned this is crucial to living life um with with, with a means to actually live. So I'm I'm just Dark doing Smith. I'm doing fractional shares just so I can kind of learn the ropes, understand how how investing works. Um quick financial yeah. literacy lesson for those listening make sure that you have at least six months to a year savings of 
in your savings account, and this is pure savings, because what happens if you get sick? What happens if there's an apocalypse? What happens if you lose your job? You'll be shit out of luck without any money, and you can't support yourself for rent or mm -hmm. groceries or literally any other thing that you might need. Then, once you have that cushion set, then you can think about investing, like, you know, Actually, no, no. Before that, you got to make sure that you contribute to your investment accounts mm -hmm. or your retirement accounts, 401ks, IRAs, IRAs, either Roth or traditional, whatever one that you want to open up. And then after that, that's when you can get, you know, into the investment world. Um, but yeah, no, dude, financial literacy is such a important cornerstone to just living. Like my, my sister is taking a financial math class right now. Mm -hmm. I think they said like, I think 7% of Americans actively save. Yeah. Like it's saved enough, right? Like you're sp it's recommended right at a bare minimum. You should be saving 10% of your paycheck. And right. it's only 7% of Americans are hitting that. Like, and there are 300 and what, 20 something people in the United States. That's yeah. a lot of people that just are not saving money. <sighs> I don't know, man. The other thing is, um, I recently inherited this book. Uh, a few of our friends have read it. Shout out to, I think, Jihad, Yash, and uh, now Shazim has read this, and he's he's loaning it to me. It's, it's, I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. And it's like a six-week program to get your finances in order. And they said that it was all a, a great introduction to financial literacy and your you know how you should be managing your bank accounts and your paychecks and like to be just more conscious of how you spend money on a daily basis so that that is my new my new book of the week my book of the week is the textbook that i've been reading for my phlebotomy class <laughs> are you still afraid of blood at this point or hurting people I've never been afraid of blood. What are you talking about, bro? Hurting people, I guess. That's, I mean, if, unless you're a complete sociopath, any person is going to be afraid of sticking another person with a needle. Yeah. You know, especially since you've got arteries and nerves and stuff underneath veins and whatnot. But, you know, with it just takes confidence. It takes practice. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I recently had my third lab, so I'm getting better at it. I did my first butterfly in a hand no. it was pretty sick but yeah no just you know and i will i will not lie and say that amid the global pandemic it definitely stoked some fears about being a potential healthcare professional slash mm -hmm. going into the medical field sure. especially since you know pandemics well, we are currently in a pandemic but also they're likely to occur in the future um i don't know just makes you think but we'll see keep yeah. it going and then uh lastly i guess before we head out is uh checking in on how how those habits we talked about are going any any more D D or chess recently no chess um <laughs> in true aries fashion i've completely dropped that um D and D, I'm still I'm still doing, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm still you know in my free time making these fun little maps. Um, you know, I, I follow that, or I, I'm consistently watching uh, live the that D and D show that I mentioned before on the last podcast. Mm -hmm. um, if because if you have Amazon Prime, you get to subscribe to a Twitch account for free, mm 
uh, and you have to renew it every month. So I, I, I spent that sub on that on that D&D channel. And now that I'm completely caught up with the campaign, they recently had episode 107 uh, on Thursday. So I, I'm completely caught up and I'm watching it live and it's different. It's different when you watch it live. It's pretty cool. Um, but new hobby that I've kind of recently added, and this is out of mainly necessity rather than a desire to, and that's Nike Run Club app, baby. Oh, let's And you actually go. got me. You got me into that. I've been running every single day except for Sundays. I get those. Those are my rest days. Yeah. Um, I've been running every single day for about two weeks, and uh, my way, my next weigh in is Tuesday around noon. So we'll see if I've lost any more weight. But I've actually already dropped three pounds since nice. uh, starting running, which is. A necessity because my doctor said I'm overweight. So the the running club app, uh, we've designed a new challenge along with our friend Austin Sakula for the month of September. I think the goal is just set at 20 miles uh, for now for this first month. Um, yeah, I think so for September. Um, but hopefully we can we can increase that as a group as we as we do this and hold each other accountable. But um, yeah, I'm trying to get back into the running. There is a a nice. Uh, so there's this thing called Katy Trail, which runs along all the apartments in Uptown, and it like expands. It it goes all the way to the American Airlines Arena, so it's about like a mile to the Airlines Arena, like where the Mavs play, and then a mile back to the apartment. It's like a super scenic trail. You get to see the Mavs Arena at the end, and I still have not done it yet. And I'm like, I, that that should just be what I do on a daily basis. That's not the graveyard one, right? No, no. This is like so much better than the graveyard. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> and I'm like, I keep telling myself I need to go, I need to go. So I'm going to finally, hopefully, get out there and do that. Yeah, I am running a mile, no, 1.3 miles every day. And I have aspirations to increase that, but maybe I'll start increasing that as soon as I am able to finish a mile without having to stop and walk <laughs> yeah i think th- so i think the first step is like just seeing how long you can go without stopping and i think who's i think veered was telling me something about how once you can do that you want to like increase that amount to like three or four miles and then you can start like training to become faster from that it's so, like once you can build up doing three miles without stopping, even if it's at a slow pace, then after that, do you start trimming your time time down and start trying to run faster? Oh, that's a really good strategy. Yeah. I'll do that. All right. So uh, last thing I want to say is Jamal Murray in his post-game interview uh, said that what carried him through this game was he had shoes uh, dedicated to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor um so on that note um you know hopefully nba can continue to make further steps in the right direction the players are clearly doing a great job leading this cause and hopefully after the bubble and maybe when things are post-pandemic and they can return to their communities that uh, we really see a spike in this movement yes sir keep finding the good fight y'all